You're listening to Cyber Insiders, where cybersecurity is everyone's business. This podcast series features cyber leaders from industry, academia, and government agencies. Now here's your host, Kevin Danino. Happy 2021, everyone, and welcome to the 2021 version of the Cyber Insiders podcast, where we're back after a, a little bit of a break. Um, lots going on in the world of cybersecurity, and we're excited once again to, to have a special guest with us, Pete Casey, special agent at the FBI. Um, Pete, would love to learn a little bit more about what you do at the FBI. Hey, thanks, Kevin. Uh, it's good to see you again. Uh, <clears throat> again, my name is Pete Casey. I'm a special agent with the FBI. I've been here for about 18 years. I've been investigating computer crimes and national security cyber matters uh, since 2014. Um, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys uh, about what's happening out there these days. There's no shortage, definitely no shortage of, uh, of news when it comes to cybersecurity, whether it's, uh, you know, hacks, et, et cetera, going on. And so would, would love to, to know a little bit more just in terms of what role the FBI plays in identifying and disrupting a lot of the cyber threats that are out there. Yeah, um, the FBI and the Department of Justice, uh, our roles and responsibilities are, are aligned with those of the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Defense. Uh, FBI and DOJ, we are the lead agencies for investigation and enforcement. So we're the guys that are going to go out and find the bad guys. DOJ is going to, one, going to be the ones to prosecute them and throw them in prison. But we work with uh, U.S. Secret Service. We work with the Department of Homeland Security's uh, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. It's a mouthful. CISA. Um, we work with them on a day, daily basis to go through things. DHS is charged with the protection of the U.S. Uh, infrastructure and the DODs with uh, defense, uh, national defense, of course. Um, DHS, they, they work with state, local, tribal, territorial agencies, uh, and private sector companies to priori- prioritize uh, the cyber recovery efforts for critical systems. Uh, and lastly, uh, DHS, um, they handle the .gov network. They make sure everything's working there. Uh, DOD handles the .mil, .mil networks. So, that being said, what does the FBI actually do? Um, as uh, I say all the time, the FBI, like we love making lists of things. So um, our top 10 priorities, uh, terrorism, counterintelligence, cybercrime, public corruption, civil rights, organized crime, white collar crime, violent crime, and major theft. Um, in that order, you'll notice that cybercrime is number three on that list in that priority. But cybercrime is something that touches every single one of our priorities. And what are those priorities? What are those cybercrimes? Uh, we split those up into basically three main groups. Um, the financially motivated, uh, which are the ransomwares, business email compromise, non-financially motivated. So they're the internet activists who um, they use hacking as a form of civil disobedience uh, or public corruption. Uh, they'll, They'll do it to get things changed. Criminals would do things to get things changed uh, for the better for themselves. And then lastly, we have the nation state actors. So I'm talking about the governments of China, Russia, North Korea, Iran. Um, Those are everyone that we're we're investigating. You know, obviously, uh, you know, it's an important, a very important piece of the puzzle in, in terms of fighting cyber threats when it comes to the FBI and, and even on a, on a practical level as, as whether it's business owners and businesses, I think a lot of people um, and business owners don't really kind of know what to do when a threat has been discovered, whether as well. And so, you know, 
in, in your opinion, when should a company really contact the FBI and, you know, what resources are available for just right everyday citizens and, and businesses out there? Yeah, a company or an individual, they should contact us, the FBI, immediately as soon as possible after discovering a, a cyber attack or some sort of cyber event. Uh, in fact, it should be written into any business continuity plan they might have to have in there to call Pete Casey at the Bureau. I mean, depending where your, your office is located, um, have a plan to contact the FBI. But how does one contact us? Well, um, you contact your local FBI, you can look up um, FBI.gov to find our contact information. Uh, look in the white pages, if those are still a thing, um, we're in there. Um, <laughs> version of it is, we, it's in there. Um, and also that you can just type it into your, your favorite search engine to find our, your local law enforcement agency. And then within each of the local field offices, there are, there's a cyber task force. And what the cyber task force is there for is to facilitate the real-time connectivity to partner agencies and function as a, a team um, to hit the ground running to, to fix whatever is broke. Um, meaning um, we sit, long story short, we sit in the same room, like I as FBI sit in the same room as a, here in San Diego, I sit with the San Diego PD, San Diego sheriffs. Uh, the Naval Criminal Intelligence um, or Criminal Investigative Service. We all sit in the same room. We have access to everyone's systems. So we can hit the ground running and we don't have to wait for someone to get back to us since we're all there really working it. The next thing we have is the SciWatch, which is uh, FBI's 24-hour command center for cyber intrusion prevention and response operations. You can reach them at 855-292-3937 or send an email to SciWatch at FBI.gov. So that's C-Y-W-A-T-C-H at FBI.gov. And SciWatch, they're responsible for receiving threat and incident reporting. And they assess it for action and then engage the appropriate uh, components within the cyber division, the field offices, or other US government intelligence and law enforcement agencies. But your first stop really should be the Internet Crime Complaint Center, IC3.gov, IC3.gov. Uh, IC3's mission is to provide the public with a, a reliable and convenient reporting mechanism to submit information to the FBI concerning some sort of internet facilitated, facilitated criminal activity. Um, this way, they can, they're like a clearinghouse for us. They take in the information, take in the complaint, and they will get it out as fast as possible to those who can affect the most change um, with that, that crime and help that victim out completely. The IC3 also, it analyzes any information that comes in. So it puts out uh, intelligence reports to law enforcement, to the US government and to the, for the public awareness, it puts it out. Um, but as the famous jingle, I mean, I think every everywhere uses this jingle. It's better to know us and not need us, need us than to need us and not know us. Um, there are multiple ways that you can get involved with the FBI um, before you need us. <clears throat> Uh, first and foremost, like with a lot of companies out there, you can just call up the FBI and ask to talk to someone just to introduce yourself. Every single field office has at least one public sector coordinator whose sole job is to get you in front of the person that you need to talk to, whether you have a cyber incident, a white collar incident, uh, you have, if you have counterintelligence issues, if you have um, 
uh, industrial espionage happening. Um, that's our job to get you in front of it. Um, so you just need to call up, uh, like as I said before, call up your main office, ask to talk to a public sector coordinator, and they'll get you the run in. Also, you can get involved with InfraGuard. InfraGuard is the partnership, it's an organization which is a partnership between the FBI and uh, members of the private sector, and it's to help protect the US critical infrastructure. Uh, it provides education, information sharing, networking, and workshops on all the different emerging uh, technologies and threats. And you can find them and apply to uh, become a member of InfraGuard at infraguard.org. That's I-N-F-R-A-G-A-R-D.org. And there's, it's minimal uh, requirements to sign up uh, to become a member. Uh, there's a, a very minimal background check. You need to be a US citizen and you need to be over 18. That's about it. And you have access to all this. Um, another way to get involved with us is chances are you're going to run into an FBI agent at any number of the industry organization meetings that happen over the course of the year. Uh, in fact, a few, few years back here in San Diego, uh, we partnered up with the Cyber Center uh, of Excellence to develop the executive briefing series. Um, these meetings focus on the, the cyber threat landscape as we see it at that moment for that specific uh, um, sector for that industry. And then we present at the executive level. We present to the people that um, can affect the change in their organization. They hold control of the purse strings. They're the people that probably the CISO and everyone under in their IT groups are yelling blue in the face saying, we need to spend money on all this to help protect uh -huh. stuff. So we are that third party that's coming in to back up CISOs and the IT groups saying you, you should spend money. Um, on your cybersecurity stands. Um, but it's a, it's a whole of the family approach. The whole family can get involved. Most field offices sponsor either the junior agent special, uh, junior special agent program, the teen academy, the citizens academy. All these programs are developed to give citizens a look behind the shield to see that the FBI, we investigate things that are happening in your community. We live in your community. We wanna keep the community safe. Um, and we also stress the fact that it's a whole of the nation approach. Like we, most of the time, the victims are businesses. They're people that live in the community. They're going to see what's happening first. So um, before we can see it. So I, I, yeah, I appreciate that, Pete. Um, you know, it, it, it's great to know that there's so many resources out there. And I, I think, and also love the, the King Stallman shout out as well um, <laughs> on that front too. But um, I think a lot of people just don't realize, you know, to your point that, you know, FBI agents do live in your community. These are regular people. They're accessible. Um, you know, people need to know that there's a variety of resources out there available to them, um, where I think a lot of people still just think is, you know, the FBI is kind of behind the scenes, you know, fighting crime, et cetera. But, you know, it's not it's as easy as picking up your phone or sending an email to report a threat as well for a lot of businesses and citizens. Yeah, definitely. All right. So let's let's sort of shift here in terms of setting the table. I mean, we're we're clearly living in a, you know, in a new world. I know the, the last time we spoke on one of our earlier episodes back in 2019, we were pre-pandemic. Now we're, you know, sort of hopefully near the end of a, a long pandemic with a lot of cyber attack headlines going on concurrently as well. And so Tell us what you think the post-pandemic global threat landscape will look like 
um, going forward? Well, unfortunately, it it's going to look the pretty much the same <laughs> before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and after the pandemic. Um, unfortunately, there's a precedent that criminals uh, take advantage of natural disasters and, and government economic relief packages to conduct their fraudulent activities. And the COVID crisis, is, it's no different. Um, state and non-state cyber actors are exploiting the COVID um, pandemic through different malicious activities targeting public and private sector institutions. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, over a three-day period, we as the FBI, we saw more than 36,000 fraudulent domains or websites that were registered. And they were wow. all due to somehow get money where that had to do with donate to a, um, a food bank, donate or buy uh, personal protective gear or what have you is it ran the gamut uh, of things. So it's, they're doing this for, to obtain money, to obtain intelligence uh, or to spread misinformation campaigns, which it didn't really help that we were also in an election year uh, during this time. Um, the Internet Crime Complaint Center, uh, they saw an increase in reporting of phishing and smishing campaigns that targeted stimulus money. Uh, phishing, for those who don't, no, uh, it's just fraudulent attempts trying to obtain sensitive information um, why, by posing as someone that's trusted. So it's like an email from your bank, email from your boss, what have you. Uh, smishing, which is a newer uh, term, um, it's that same idea, but through a text message or through a phone number. We keep seeing that these cyber criminals are claiming to be U.S. officials distributing payments. People are getting emails and text messages that if they contain that they need to click on a link in order to access their their funds. Um, there's also to, to move on. There's also the idea that with the increased vulnerabilities stemming from the sudden growth of teleworking and, and our kids going to school online. Um, as individuals and businesses and academic institutions move to remote operations, this is just posing more uh, risk. Um, actors are looking to gain access to sensitive information, eavesdrops on conference calls or, or classes and or just conduct malicious activities. So these are things that are, are have been happening and are still gonna continue to happen. And while it, whether it's phishing or smishing, I, I, I do like that new term, um, but I, I, on that front, is it a simple, the practical advice here, is it, is it delete these messages or attempts? Is it just don't touch them? Um, what's sort of the practical advice on that in terms of when that happens? Um, we, in all, if all, if you do nothing at all other than delete the message and move on. Um, but we do right. encourage you to um, report it to the FBI, report it to CISA, uh, either through ic3.gov or through cisa.gov, c-i-s-a.gov. Uh, they also have a reporting um, portal. Um, let us know that it's out there so that it can go into the, the an analysis of trying to figure out who and what are doing this. Yep, I appreciate that. And, you know, and, and what are some of, you know, the fact that we have you on is great. So, you know, tell us what you think some of the biggest post-pandemic cyber threats are out there? Yeah, um, I mean, every, your computer. <laughs> I know it's hard prioritizing <laughs> the top three. Um, social media deception continues to be a, a popular technique for criminals and 
foreign intelligence services to glean valuable information from American citizens and businesses. Um, they're using these professional networking sites and social media platforms to, to, and they pose as like headhunters and interested employers, people with shared interests or others with enticing career opportunities. It's just an effort to, to develop some sort of relationship with an individual to access valuable or sensitive information or their bank accounts. Um, on one end, we have the, the counterintelligence espionage uh, intellectual property where they might try to develop some sort of relationship with you um, to get information about your work or your contacts. Um, so individuals in the private sector and academic and research institutions, they're being targeted for trade secrets, proprietary data, information on cutting edge research and technology. In foreign intelligence services, they're looking to target anyone with access to information they want. It doesn't matter if it's classified or unclassified. Um, and then on the financial fraud side of things, I've seen it multiple times over the past year, um, individuals coming forward and companies coming to us saying that, you know, if there's someone out there posing as company A, offering people jobs through Instagram or not through Instagram, through um, uh, LinkedIn or, or through other business networking sites. And they even go through the whole process since everyone's uh, in lockdown Everyone's at home, so they're doing virtual interviews. So they, it's, they're talking to some random person, um, and then all of a sudden they get a job. But the caveat to the job is that they have to spend money. They have to send funds to the company to help set up their home office. And as soon as wow. that happens, um, crickets. They don't have a job. That is, yeah, that's pretty sophisticated. But yeah, I mean, in today's world, I could see how that definitely could be fairly you know, straightforward without the end party noticing for a long time. Exactly, exactly. And what can we do about it? Well, we're just asking people to practice basic cyber hygiene. Don't accept friends from anybody that sends it to you. Don't um, be a social media. Um, and I know that's not how LinkedIn works or other business thing, business uh, networking sites work. Like it's all about friends of friends of friends of friends to get uh, where you're going, you're also, it wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to find a job. So the next step we want you to do is just vet that friendship or that question or that direct message that you got. If it's a friend of a friend, contact said friend and see, do you actually know this person? Or just do a Google search, search try to figure out who this person is. Because everyone, even if they're, I have a, a sibling that they are off the grid and they do not want anything to do with anything. And so they don't have a computer, they don't have TV, they don't pay bills, they live up well. I can go on and on. Uh, but I can still find them online. I, I, they have a presence. And if they don't have a presence, they leave a shadow of their non-presence. So we can figure things out pretty easily. That's, um, that's a future episode, Pete, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you do find that you're approached um, online and you think it's pr pretty bad, like I said, go to ic3.gov, go to CISA.gov to report it. Um, we're, we're keeping track. We're going after those people that um, are, are doing this. And then the next thing uh, after social media, and I'm fully embracing the fact that I sound like a broken record, ransomware is here to stay. Um, hmm. It's the common cold in the cybersecurity world. Like we think we've knocked it out, we dealt, battled it, we knocked it out, we think we're good. That 
malware just goes away, recombinates, and comes back strong as ever. Um, and so, it, but if, if you started practicing social distancing back in 1989, um, and you've been locked in a cave until now, uh, ransomware is just, uh, it's a type of malware that threatens to block access to victims' data or publish it unless a sum of money is paid. Mm -hmm. um, yep, yeah, we, we have a stance that we do not encourage people to pay ransomware. Um, because it, we're concerned that it has an impact on um, the networks of our state, local, tribal, territorial governments, municipalities, police and fire departments, hospitals, and other critical infrastructure. Um, we don't know if you pay this ransom, what is that money going to go towards? Is it drugs? Is it terrorism? Is it to fund a, a nation state? Um, we've seen that nation states are actually using ransomware to fund their governments and to keep coming after us. Um, we've also seen that ransomware is being used um, as a cover-up. Like, so someone might have gotten into your, your networks, exfiltrated all your data. They have all the information um, that they'll go and use and sell it somewhere, sell on the dark web, sell it to the highest bidder. But then they'll just, for one last kiss goodbye, they'll lob a ransomware malware at you and, and try to get an extra bit of funding out of that after the fact. Um, so it just they cover up their criminal acts. Um, in the most common ways that the ransomware is coming through to people, um, phishing campaigns. Some people are getting emails from trusted sites um, and they are asked to click on a link or to go to a website that can allow the malware to be downloaded. Um, remote desktop protocol vulnerabilities, RDP. Uh, RDP is it's a proprietary network protocol that allows individuals to control the resources and data of a computer from over the internet, which over the past year with stay-at-home orders and social distancing, we're relying on RDP quite a bit. Um, yep. So the cyber criminals, they're, they're using brute force methods or they've purchased uh, credentials on the dark web. And once they have RDP access, they can launch whatever malware they want and ransomware being one of them. And then uh, lastly, the, the vector is just software vulnerabilities just in general. Um, criminals take advantage of security weaknesses and widely used software programs to gain control of victim systems just to deploy the ransomware. So like for example, um, Windows 7 is no longer supported unless Microsoft Windows 7 is no longer supported unless you pay uh, to have something, uh, have some support. And I think it goes away, any support goes away entirely in 2023. So um, uh -huh. they're using those types of vulnerabilities. So the best practices to minimize ransomware um, uh, risks is backup, backup everything, backup your data, the system Im images, the configurations, and then test those backups and keep them offline. There's a, a cool you know, like mnemonic device that you can use. It's the 321 method. So keep three copies on two types of media and keep one of them stored offline. So you can have a a flash drive and a CD or DVD or a Blu-ray that has all the information you need and you keep that in a safe, in a fireproof safe and you're good. Um, enable multi-factor authentication. Um, update and patch all your systems, which that one I need to put a little asterisk by. Uh, I'll touch on it in a little bit when we talk about solar winds because um, that came through mm -hmm. the patch. Um, but make sure your system Securities are all up to date. That's what it comes down to. 
uh, and then also create and maintain and exercise a basic cyber incidents plan and any associated communication plan that goes along with it. So, and please include contacting the FBI or CISA in your, your, your cyber incident response plan, because there's a number of things that we can do to help. Uh, and then lastly, just training and education. Train your employees, train your family, train your parents to know that ransomware is out there, that social, social engineering is out there. Um, be aware, you can't be as, as trusting as we used to be. Um, I guess so we gotta make sure we, we keep everyone safe that way. Absolutely, and I appreciate those. And, and to that end, I know you mentioned a couple of the a couple industries where clearly like one would think wow this is you know when it comes to defense and healthcare etc what are what are some other industries that you know you see as primary targets um, as well well the, the the biggest target we're seeing right now it's the healthcare and public health sector um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> historically criminals have targeted the healthcare sector by going to their uh, payment processors and replacing legitimate information with fraudulent information just to get a, a paycheck. Uh, and then also the, um, the healthcare industry, they, they, have, they use our uh, PII, our, our personal identifying, personally identifying information, uh, and they sell it on the dark web and they can use that for any number of things. Um, but now that a lot of us are on stay-at-home orders, those are thankfully lifting um, these days, but we've all turned to web-based applications like we might go see our doctor online. So as with all app applications, they can be vulnerable to some sort of cyber intrusion. And I'll go, I'll take it one step further from there, not just cyber intrusion, but when you're online with your doctor, you got to be aware of what's happening around you. And actually this goes for not even just with, with your doctor, with when you're having a Zoom meeting, uh, with your, your, your team at work. Um, you have to be aware of your surroundings, your physical surroundings. Are you sitting next to an open window? As uh, things start um, opening up, are you having taking those meetings outside Starbucks now? Um, you gotta be aware of who's listening to you. You gotta be aware of what you're throwing out in the trash. Uh, you should shred stuff. If you print out uh, work information, shred it. Be aware of what kind of uh, trail you're leaving uh, out there. Um, sorry, back to the healthcare. Um, and then early on in the pan pandemic, um, and also now, the hot commodity was the personally protective equipment. Um, it was whack-a-mole trying to combat all those frauds. And those are going to keep going. People are going to continue um, using COVID and the pandemic as a way to get people's guilt going or get people's hearts going. Um, the next uh, industry, well, it's probably, I should have started with the information technology industry since it's the IT groups of all the different sectors that are getting hit. Yeah. Um, so this is where it's solar, the solar Orion breach that uh, mm -hmm. hit us at the end of 2019. Well, it actually hit the US at the end of 2019 with a bunch of test runs. And then it was fully implemented in March through June of 2020, but we didn't discover it um, until December of 2020. So they had, it affected over 18,000 organizations and um, that were impacted directly. And seeing as this was a supply chain attack, um, 
it, time will tell how what the true impact is going to be re with regards to financial loss and or national security. Um, just as last Tuesday, Microsoft President Brad Smith testified before the Senate, and he stated that it's a little bit like a burglar who wants to break into a single apartment, but it manages to turn off the alarm system for every home and every building in the entire city. Everybody's safety was put at risk. So there's that, but then there, this, so we have solar winds, but we also have it also in February, someone tampered with the, the water um, treatment facility, the drinking water for treatment facility in Florida, where they um, used, attacked the SCADA system, which is the supervisory control and data acquisition. It's the software that runs the valves in the, mm -hmm. um, so they, they use the SCADA system software to increase the amount of sodium hydroxide, which is lye, which is a caustic material that's put into the water treatment. Luckily, the plant personnel were able to notice that the changing change dosing um, so they corrected the issue before anything could happen. But this is an example of that cyber criminals are targeting and exploiting desktop sharing software, the RDP, um, and computer networks running operating systems with that are in an end of life status. So like the Windows 7 that we're talking about, um, because since they're not being reported, they're not getting patched. So any vulnerabilities that were there at the end of the life are gonna continue to stay there. So cyber actors are gonna be going after that. So that's what the IT folks have to worry about going forward. So how do you get, fix that? Update your systems. That's what it comes cool. down to. And then, yep. and then lastly, the industry that is always going to be hit is the financial service sector. Um, simply put, because that's where the money is. So that's where we're going to constantly be hearing about business email compromise and wire fraud uh, transfer um, and ransomware because it, they're being hit all these different organizations have, um, they have legacy systems that track money. They have um, clients that are sending money back and forth. So all these different uh, wire transfers um, are just going at a rapid pace every day and not everyone can keep track of everything that's happening. So that's why they're always gonna be a target. Um, so with the, the financial services like as long as there's money to be had, they're going to have a problem with, uh, <laughs> they're going to have a, be a target. And that's going to, yeah, that, that will likely always be sort of a, a top sector in terms of the, the pecking order on that front, whether it's, you know, the cryptocurrency and bitcoins that end up missing or, you know, all these new API, um, API technology and connecting accounts to different accounts. It just creates sort of more opportunities, it seems like for, you know, these issues to, to happen. And, um, you know, appreciate the, the input on the solar winds. It was interesting that the 60 minutes report actually on that was somewhat eye opening, just in terms of, you know, all of the individuals interviewed it. But ultimately, to your point, knowing that there's still a lot in terms of that, we don't know, sort of the full impact of that, too. So, um, you know, something for sure that kind of you know, in terms of flipping into kind of working in this industry and being a, a glass half full kind of guy, clearly the, the silver lining in all of this, even in the past year we've spoke, is just the immense need for talent to work in the cybersecurity industry, especially in the aftermath of the pandemic. You know, we, we're, we're seeing both locally, regionally, globally, really, the demand for cyber talent is skyrocketing. And so, you know, knowing that the FBI is ultimately looking for 
successful individuals to help fight this as well. How do how do how do we stay competitive um, on this path when it comes to fighting the bad guys? Well, the I, I you can debate me on this because <clears throat> I'm no expert, um, but I heard that there's the, the statistic that the U.S. has a total cybersecurity workforce of like 715,000 jobs with over 300,000 that are still open, um, unfilled positions. <clears throat> wow. And the, the FBI, we, we hire computer scientists, we hire special agents and analysts uh, with a cybersecurity background, and we're competing with it with in industry and in industries that can pay a lot more than the government can. So how do we do it? Um, we look a lot at organizations and college campuses that host competitive cyber events like Capture the Flag and, and we recruit from there. Um, we offer internships to high school and college students to get them interested in the mission of the FBI. Um, we appeal to the idea of the higher calling and um, big picture contributions. And that's how we try to how the FBI tries to stay competitive um, uh -huh. and to dip into the cyber skill pool. And then for those in the job force, um, the, the education is, is great. Getting a degree is great. Um, to join the FBI, you need to have a, a bachelor's degree at the very least. But we see that it's certifications, keeping your certifications up um, is a good way to, to be competitive. Um, because those are always changing, always up to date. Whereas what you learn academically is what was printed back when you were in school. So things change from there. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think it's important, you know, you're, so you guys are, you're recruiting on, on the mission, clearly the private sector and sort of the cybersecurity industry still has that demand, um, you know, as well. So, you know, do you find yourselves, yeah, at the FBI, kind of working sometimes in tandem with private sector entities as well on that front? Um, <clears throat> we do try to, every time I go out for, uh, to meet with either a victim or just as the public sector coordinator, I go out and meet with different companies out there. I always have an eye out to recruiting people that are, would be good. Um, so in that sense, Sure, I work with other companies, but we're competing for this this talent pool in this talent pool. Correct. So, um, the things that the government, I mean, we offer stability, we offer um, good benefits. Pay isn't probably what people can get, uh, but we also often offer that that big picture of um, a, a higher purpose. That's the best we can do. And that and that's hey, and that's you know, obviously appreciate your service, Pete. And, you know, and I think that is a great message to send to, to those out there. And, and the reality too is, you know, in future episodes, we're really going to be focusing more on talking about the, the talent opportunities. We're going to have leaders from the, the National Foundation for Autism Research and from our organization, the CCOE, as well as Naval Warfare Systems Command, et cetera. So, Pete, it's always awesome to get sort of your perspective from the FBI. Always appreciate everything that that you guys are doing on a day-to-day -day basis to, to fight the bad guys out there when it comes to cyber. Um, thanks again for, for coming back on Cyber Insiders and you know, look forward to, to staying in touch and appreciate the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been, it was a good time. And once again, thank you to, to Pete Casey, special agent at the FBI here in the 
San Diego region. This is Kevin Danino from KCDPR signing off, reminding our listeners to tune into episode two coming soon with Chelsea Asaro, who's in the outreach and training for the National Foundation for Autism Research, and our esteemed Lisa Easterly, who is the Chief Operating Officer of the San Diego Cyber Center of Excellence, where we will talk further on neurodiversity and cybersecurity. So look forward to a, a great discussion on that in our next episode. With that, take care all, and we'll, we'll talk to you uh, hopefully in a few weeks.